commandments. Number one, week one was about worship. Week two was about idolatry, which was last week. And then week three is now going to be about swearing. But not in the context already. I know that you think you, think you know where I'm going because I said swearing. And we're going to talk about four-letter words and stuff. That's not really where I'm going tonight. I'm going to go completely, probably totally opposite of where you think I'm going. And so um, we're going to look at Exodus 20 and verse 7. It says, you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. So tonight, uh, the Ten Commandments and today, week number three, as we look at that third commandment about Really, I'm using one word, swearing. Lord God, we love you, and we thank you for your presence and power that we feel. God, you are so incredible, so worthy, so awesome, and your word is alive, and it's powerful. So, Lord, as we look at your word tonight, help us to understand it, and as we go deeper in it, that there will be truths that we hide in our heart that will never waver. But, God, I also pray for myself, strengthen my voice so that you can just speak through me and get this point these points across that you want to speak tonight. Don't let me get in the way and don't let my voice get in the way. In Jesus' name, amen. God's people must live above profanity. So there, let me just deal with it as long as you hear swearing, that's what you think about. Okay, profanity should never come out of the, the children of God. Like you read about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. When somebody begins to swear and to use cuss words, all it shows is it doesn't, it not only shows that there's a lack of holiness in Christianity there, but it also shows a lack of intelligence um, because to not be able to express yourself in a way, there's nothing wrong with saying, I'm extremely frustrated right now. This is what happened in my life. This is what's going on. But to just begin to, to swear and cuss, like it's just, it's just a lack of intelligence. And so it's not even just a, a godly thing, even though I would argue that's also the case. Uh, we, but that's not where I'm going. We have to be careful on how we speak, not only just in general, but also the, the God's holy name. We live in a world that definitely does not have a reverence for things or people anymore, okay? People used to have, even in my life, and I always say this, I'm not that old, um, but people in my life, I remember there was a reverence for God, a reverence for police officers, a, a reverence for judges, reverence for clergy and teachers and parents, and you would occasionally come across somebody that didn't reverence those things, but overall the norm is people reverenced those, and they reverenced really the position that they held. Um, today, the days of honoring people because of positional authority, they don't really seem like that's the case anymore. Um, people don't have as much reverence for too many things, and they definitely don't reverence, if they don't reverence God, they're not going to reverence the name of God, okay? And so, but for us, we believe that there's power in the name, okay? So scripture says, Acts 4.12 in the New Testament, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's putting emphasis on the name. In Philippians 2, Paul writes, that was from Luke, Paul now writes in Philippians 2 that the name, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is power in the name of Jesus. And I wish I could say that more excited. So here's the thing. I'm going to say it, but you guys have to be excited for me, okay? Okay? So I said there's power in the name of Jesus. 
Because people watching online, if they just tuned in and I go, there's power in the name of Jesus, they're going to be like, what's going on? So like, I, even this ain't going to work for me tonight. And so in our world, people will say the name of Jesus sometimes only after seeing their algebra grade or their tax return. And um, that can't be for the children of the Most High God. We must only speak that name in reverence and in desire for relationship. Okay, because, you know, it's interesting. My wife and I were talking about this. I'll give her credit. You know, she, she writes down my notes, and I just, I, I just read what she tells me to say. But no, I'm just kidding. No, but she did say this, and it was very good. She said, you know, research points to the fact that one of the things that human beings love to hear more than anything is their own name. And if God created us in his image, right, he loves to hear his name on our lips. All right, and so <clears throat> in, you look at this, and there's balance to this, though, too, because in the Old Testament, they took this command, and they ran with it, okay? They took the command of the, the, don't take the name of the Lord in vain, which is what we're looking at tonight, and they actually stopped using his name altogether. Like, we don't want to take his name in vain, so here's what we should do. We should never use his name. Because then we won't ever take it in vain. And so to them, that made sense. Well, in the original Hebrew of the Old Testament, there's, we're going to go very deep tonight. So if you're a note taker, get your notes ready. Um, and this will be available. Because here's the thing. Chances are none of us are going to remember all of the information we're going to cover tonight. But it'll be available for you for future discussion if needed. But... If you can make it through this and be like, I don't want to listen to that a second time. But so in the Hebrew of the Old Testament, there were no written vowels. Okay. So God's name was spelled W-H, or I'm sorry, Y-H-W-H or J-H-V-H. Okay. Now, if you look at that, where do you suppose that we would get our English words for Y-H-W-H? Or J-H-V-H. Well, when you transliterate that to add vowels that are in our language that weren't in theirs to form a word that we can actually say, that becomes what? Yahweh or Jehovah. Okay? And so these four letters became known as the Tetragrammaton. Now, a tetragram is a, is a four-letter Hebrew word the name of the national God of Israel. That's, that's what people understand. You research that. The four letters written there, by the way, they read from right to left, not like us, left to right. And so when they read right to left, it would say yad he wah or those four letters. Now, while there's no consensus about the structure and the etymology of the name, the form Yahweh is most universally accepted. Now, for them, they wouldn't say the name because there was reverence in the name, but if you would, it would have sounded almost like many people would say it would sound like clearing your throat just like, which for me, I might do regularly. Now, the books of the Torah and the rest of the Hebrew Bible, except Esther, Ecclesiastes, and Song of, Sol Song of Solomon, contain the Hebrew name. 
Okay, every other book contains it except for those three. Observant Jews and those who follow Talmudic uh, Jewish traditions, they don't pronounce it. They, they don't read it out loud. They, and so instead, they replace it with a different term, whether in addressing or referring to the God of Israel. Common substitutions in Hebrew would be Adonai, which is my Lord, but not a proper name. It would be Elohim, literally gods, but treated singularly would be God in prayer, or Hashem, the name in everyday speech. But they would not say the name Lord as capitalized in the Old Testament. Do you ever read the Old Testament and you see L-O-R-D and it's all caps? That's because that is the name that they would not verbalize. They would not say that name. And so the, even King James, as he translated that, they, they put reverence or respect to it, all caps, L-O-R-D. So when you see that, you'll know if you didn't already. And so some today will argue that his name has changed through translations, transliterations, and because of language barriers. So we have people who will even go as far today as to say his name is Yeshua and not Jesus. And so these people will say that those who baptize in the transliterated name of Jesus, rather than what they feel is the Hebrew equivalent, which is Yeshua, that those people are somehow wrong. And, that, and, and this is important for you to know, because even if you don't remember everything I'm saying, when this comes to you, you might be like, okay, I can go back and listen to this. But there are people who will say, you have to be rebaptized. Your, your baptism was not valid. You have to be rebaptized in the name of Yeshua. So, in the Bible, the name of God reveals his character, much like the names of other biblical people do. And this is, this is I, I go this route, and really I wasn't planning on going this route when I was preparing this message. But if I just read, don't take the name of the Lord in vain, the name is important, there's power in the name. And we move on. The still, the argument remains, what is the name? Where did the name come from? So I feel the need to address that tonight. And so his name represents his power, authority, manifested presence, his glory. You see in the Old Testament, the unique name of the one true God is Yahweh. In the New Testament, God revealed himself supremely in the name of Jesus. Now, the typical Hebrew pronunciation is Yahweh, while in, in English it's translated Jehovah. This word comes from the third person form of the Hebrew word to be, meaning he is. And so when God spoke of himself in the first person, look what he says. I referenced this in previous weeks, Exodus 3.13. Moses said to God, behold, I'm going to come into Egypt, and who shall I say sent me? In verse 14, God says to Moses, I am that I. I am. And he said, thou shalt say to the children of Israel, I am sent me to you. And so God said, I am. That's, that's all he says. He was using the same Hebrew verb as Yahweh. That means he is. And so it would be correct and safe to say that the name Yahweh is the equivalent to I am. And it signifies the eternal one, the self-existent one, the one who is, who was, and who is to come. And it's interesting because you go to the New Testament and Jesus claims to be the I am of the Old Testament because he also in Revelation said, I am the one who was and who is and who is to come because we're talking about one and the same. God did not reveal his full redemptive, its full redemptive significance though until he, he delivered Israel from Egyptian bondage. Take a look. Exodus 6, 2. God said to Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. Now, 
It ceases, and I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, unto Jacob, by the name of God Almighty, Almighty. but my name, Jehovah, was I not known to them. Okay? I wasn't known by my name. He says, I've also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan and their land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, who Egyptians keep in bondage. I have remembered my covenant. He says, wherefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out of the burdens of Egyptians, and I will rid you of their bondage. I will redeem you with a stretched out arm, with great judgments. And I will take you for a people, and I will be to you a God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out of the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you in unto the land concerning which I did swear to give it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give you an heritage, for I am the Lord. So since the Jews had a command to never take the name of the Lord in vain, they did not want to risk violating this command that we're talking about tonight. So they just stopped pronouncing, and nobody knows the original pronunciation, but when we read scripture aloud, instead of Y-H-W-H, which is our word Yahweh. Remember, they didn't have vowels. Instead, they would just say Adonai, which is master. Just like, hey, I'm, you know I'm referencing this God, but I'm not using his name. And following this practice, in most places where Y-H-W-H appears in Hebrew, the King James Version translates it as the Lord with all the caps. Now, likewise, when quoting in the Old Testament, the, that's, that's the Old Testament, I'm sorry, the New Testament writers in Greek use the word kyrios. I should have made slides for every one of these words for you. This word means Lord, and they used, and it's also translated .yhwh. Many times, the New Testament calls Jesus the Lord in reference to the Old Testament name YHWH, which we say is Yahweh. For example, in quoting from the Old Testament, Peter applies that Old Testament name directly to Jesus. Look at Joel chapter 3. Or chapter 2, I'm sorry, verse 32. And it shall come to pass that whatsoever shall, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord, which is Y-H-W-H there, shall be delivered. And so Joel is saying, I'm prophesying about this before the time of Christ. But then you go to the New Testament. Look at Peter sees in the New Testament when he goes to Acts chapter 2, verse 21. It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now that's the Greek word kyrios, okay? So Peter is making the connection when he's preaching about Jesus in Acts chapter 2. He's making this connection that Jesus, this Savior of the New Testament, was YHWH, the God of the Old Testament. Peter's making that connection that they are one and the same, okay? In this way, the New Testament teaches that the God of the Old Testament has manifested himself in the flesh as Jesus Christ. And Peter has no problem with the name of Jesus as it was in his language. A short form of YHWH is just YH. This is usually pronounced Yah or Jah. Uh, Psalm 68, 4 says, Sing unto God, sing praises to his name. Extol him that rideth upon the heavens. By his name, Jah, and rejoice before him. Now, the word hallelujah literally means praise Jah. We'll say, say, let's say hallelujah. Really, it's a command to praise. Okay. It appears in Hebrew in Psalm 150, which is translated as praise ye the Lord. 
The New Testament translates it into Greek as alleluia. Translation now, just so you know, is meaning of something in language that's written from one language and translated to another language. Transliteration gives the word form. Uh, it's, a different, it's a different language. And so what happens is if any of you that speak maybe Spanish or a different, or a different language, you can't just like say, all right, English, Spanish, English, Spanish. English, Spanish, English, Spanish. Like you're transliterating certain things to make a thought because you're saying, okay, this one, we might not have exact letters for that. So I have to, I have to, okay, what, what are you trying to say here? And so, and so it, it, it forms new, new letters, not new meanings, but new letters to make a word. Now, a short form of the divine name is often combined with another word when forming names of Bible characters, okay? The name Jesus includes a short form of the Old Testament divine name. It comes from the Hebrew name Yahashua, which is shortened to Yeshua. Now, that name, this name means Yahweh is salvation or Yahweh Savior, this is the supreme name by which God has revealed himself today and the only name given for our salvation because he says in the New Testament, behold, the virgin shall conceive and he says, bring forth the son and you shall call his name, the, the Hebrew word Yahashua, Yeshua, which is translated into Greek, Jesus. And this is why Acts 4, we just read, there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. At the, that, at the Philippians 2, he says, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue can, should, should confess. Because Paul was, he did not say, yes, but we have to say what they said in the Old Testament. He did not say that. The name Jesus encompasses everything the Old Testament declares about God. But it also adds that supreme revelation that I just referenced, Matthew 1. And she shall bring forth a son, shall call his name Jesus. For he shall save his, I love that all caps there too. He shall save his people from their sins. Now this was done that it might be fulfilled, making the connection to the prophet Isaiah, referencing the Old Testament, Yahweh God. This, this baby Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy. And this is also why we baptize in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now to the crux of this matter, of, of what we're talking about, and I'm, I know I'm flying through this and I'm going through this, but you can study this, you can listen back to this, you can go deeper in this. I mean, I could probably do a four-week series just on the etymology of the name but I didn't think you guys would enjoy that very much. I, can't, I wasn't even sure you guys would enjoy just one night of it. But it's important that you know this. And even if you can't regurgitate it to someone, it's important that when someone questions you, you can stand fully confident in the name of Jesus Christ. Now to the crux of the matter of this name. Now God honors the use of his name in whatever language it is pronounced. So I speak a couple of words of Spanish. Okay, so 
the name Jesus if Sister Blanca says, Gloria a Dios, Jesucristo. I'm not going to say, oh, Blanca. Jesucristo. No, no, no. You need to say Jesus. She's going to look at me and say, knucklehead? I don't even know how to say knucklehead in Spanish. Jesucristo is Jesus. And so Jesus is not going to go, sorry, you didn't pronounce my name right. I'm not going to hear your prayer today. Okay? And so the name is effective by identifying the true God, expressing faith in him, directly invoking his aid. It is not a magical formula or a certain pronunciation. People can invoke the name correctly, though, but have no results. We have a biblical example of that. If we don't know him personally, we can say, uh, yeah, Jesus, Jesus' name, Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And even if we think we're doing something powerful, there's still something about the relationship of being connected to him. And we look at Acts 19, it says, then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. Like, hey, we saw them do some amazing things. We kind of got a reputation around here as exorcists, and so we're going to put this to work because that seemed to work for them, so we want to see if it works for us. So they tried it. And there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jew and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, uh, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. But Gary Dornbach translation says, who in the world are you? I wonder what the message says there. It probably says like, dude, what's up, bro, or something crazy. He says, uh, and the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this was known to all Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. And fear fell on all them. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. So if I'm understanding what I just read in the scripture, God and his deity does not only want to be magnified. But it is proper to say we magnify the name of Jesus. Because it's a name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. And again, when people say, well, you guys are Jesus only again, I'm not sure what you mean by that, but I do agree that without Jesus... There's no salvation, there's no blood, there's no cross, there's no Calvary, there's no hope, there's no eternity. And so I magnify the name of Jesus because of who he is. <clears throat> so some of these people might say that we must invoke the divine name in Hebrew and we must reject the English names of Jehovah or Jesus. These are some of the people who reject the use of Yahweh or, 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 or hallelujah. These, but when you say this, these contentions ignore the acts of the apostles and their example. Because when they and their associates wrote the New Testament in Greek, they did not transliterate the Hebrew name of Yeshua into, 
into Greek. They used the, they, 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 they used the Greek version. They used Iesus, which is the Greek word for Jesus. And so in these earliest manuscripts, we find that you find Iesus. The English translations of the Bible, such as the King James, follow that same practice. They do not transliterate either Yeshua or Jesus into to, to English. They simply just say, hey, the English name is Jesus. That is the English version of that Jesus Greek word. And so we magnify the name of Jesus. God accepts worship and answers prayer when we call on the name of Jesus or on the name of Jesucristo. Jesus, and he does that in whatever language we speak. When we invoke the name of Jesus in faith, acknowledging the historical man from Nazareth as our Lord and Savior and Christ, our Messiah, then God is glorified and our prayers are effective. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, people receive healing. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, people receive deliverance. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, people have their sins completely washed away. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, people are filled with his spirit and begin to speak with other tongues. That These things happen in the name of Jesus Christ. And so, yes, we have gone deep tonight in a short amount of time. And again, you're, you're just, you're not going to be at like, you're going to get in the car and be like, what did he preach about? All about the name of Jesus. And if you can get up on this, just this one quick thing and start talking about Jesus and how it came from YHWH and it was translated Yahweh and Jehovah, it was transliterated into, you know, Jesus and Jesus and what that means. And those, I mean, like, that's impressive if you can do that from one night. But I don't really expect you to be able to quote everything you just heard. But I do expect that you can walk out of here and go, here's what I do know. His name is Jesus, and there is power in that name. And in the context of what we're looking at tonight, we should... Have a reverence of his holy name. That we dare not speak it in vain. Jesus may have been a common name in his day. For sure. But believe me when I say there is nothing common about the name of Jesus. The words we speak should be words of truth. We should never use, man, I remember when I used that once in my house and my dad heard me. When I said the term, I swear to God. My dad was like, oh, no. I was like, well, I hear it. Everybody else saying, he's like, no. But why would we need that? Matthew addresses this somewhat in, his new, in the New Testament, Matthew 5. It says, again, <clears throat> you have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, thou shalt not forswear thyself, but thou shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all. Neither by heaven, for it's God's throne, nor by the earth, it's his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, it's the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair 
white or black, which some people do now, but probably wasn't God's intention. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. In the fifth chapter of Matthew, when you read that whole chapter, Jesus had just been teaching about marriage and divorce. And so he was, he was talking about the value of a covenant, the value of a commitment. I mean, I just touched on something with hair and talking about marriage and divorce. Like Matthew 5 probably wouldn't have been a very famous chapter to preach in 2022. But it's biblical all the same. And so he moves the lesson from that place into, a, uh, into living a life where your word is your bond. When you make a covenant, whether marriage or otherwise, we should not have to swear by anything. Like, I'm never going to perform a wedding ceremony where I say, hey, do you swear to God? Like, that's not what we're going to do. It is, do you take this person to be your lawfully wedded husband, wife, to have and to hold? For sickness and sickness and health, for richer, for poor, till death do you part. Are you? Yes, I will. Okay, that is all I need. Imagine if I did that and I looked and I said, "Are you serious? Do you swear? You ain't lying. I mean, because you need to tell me if you are. Just one pinky promise, like this." I would, Brother Foster would be doing all the future weddings. I would never do another wedding. <laughs> no, we should be a people whose society knows, oh, if he said yes, it's going to be yes. If she said no, I'll tell you what, her word is her bond. She said no. Our word should be enough. And so as I close this out, perhaps the worst way to break the third commandment is by calling ourselves Christians and not living like Christians. And this goes into home, whole, all kinds of other things too, as long as I'm talking about life things and meddling on a second. I mean, if we say, well, I don't believe in swearing, either using the name of the Lord in vain or swearing as we would know today. How could we possibly, how could we possibly purchase movies that use the name of the Lord in vain and swear, yet we tell everyone we don't believe in that? I mean, that's hypocrisy. And society slowly started to change probably years ago because it's not like Christians were hypocrites and all of a sudden the whole world changed. But what happens is when we raise children who watch mom and dad be hypocrites, then when they're old enough to tell the difference, they don't really want to be a part of what we said was powerful. But then we did things that kind of clashed against what we were saying. Does that make sense? So, I think we need to make wise choices too, even what we put in our eyes and ears and mind. Because I'll tell you another thing, well, I don't swear. Yeah, you watch something long enough. 
It'll come out. Because that little computer chip of a brain you got that you can't erase like a hard drive, it stores those things, and all of a sudden you stub your toe, and whoa, where'd that come from? Well, it actually came from seven weeks of your favorite sitcom on ABC. I better move on, huh? But here's the thing. If we live like this, if we do this, we give others a reason to dishonor the name of Jesus. Because if they look at us, and they, I mean, Paul straight up says, you are an ambassador of Christ. You know what an ambassador is? An ambassador goes into a place, and you're not, it's not even your, you might not even be your homeland. You could just be passing through. But yet as an ambassador, you enter into a place and you still wear the attire of the homeland, not of the land you're visiting. You speak the language of the homeland, not of the land you're visiting. You still cling to the customs of the homeland and know that I'm just passing through this country. This is not, this is not who I am. This is not where I live. I'm simply here representing my king. It's powerful because Paul said, hey, guess what, church? You are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. This world is not our home. We're not supposed to look like this world, act like this world, talk like this world, because we're just passing through. We serve our king, we represent our king, and eventually we're going home. I'm an ambassador. For some in your circle right now, you are the only representation of his holy name that they will ever see. You know that? They may never hear me preach. They'll never carry a Bible, maybe. I mean, we hope so, of course. They might not know how to spell Leviticus. And the only Bible they'll ever read is you. And when you were baptized in this precious and wonderful name of Jesus, you now carry that name I say this all the time. It's like that marriage, and I say, I'm using that, your yay be yay, your nay be nay. I'm not going to stand and perform a wedding ceremony and go, do you promise? Do you swear? No. Yes. Okay. Allow me to be the first to introduce to you Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Allow me to be the first to introduce to you Mr. and Mrs. Chester. Okay? Because the bride has now taken on the name of the bridegroom. When you go down in that water, you not only become part of the body of Christ, but you are now the bride of Christ. When do you become the bride? When you take on that name. And so now, guess what? Today, I'm thankful I'm married to a great woman, but if she started acting crazy and I took her to district conferences and she just started standing up and jumping on chairs and saying weird stuff and people are just like, what in the world? I, I'm not going to say, just so you know, she's not an original Dornbach. <laughs> I mean, like, realistically, I'd be the one jumping on the chairs and she'd be saying, I'm not an original Dornbach, but... No, because once she took on my name, she is now an extension of me. 
a representation of who I am. So much, in fact, that if my wife said something, this is a huge thing, if she said something to anyone in this church, she met with anybody in private, she counseled you, I would not even have to know about the conversation of what she said. I will tell you this publicly, I promise you, I will 100% back anything that she says to any one of you in a, in, a, in, a, in a meeting, in a counseling session, because I know she hears from God, and I know that we are one. Are we going to always agree on everything? No. But we are one mind, one accord, one flesh. So I'm not going to say, well, she's not an original Dornbach. No, she took on my name, and she now is a representative of everything that I am. And when you took on the name of Jesus Christ in the waters of baptism, every part of your life should reflect the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Every part. There's not like a God part and a church part and a secular, but like every part of my entire life from my entertainment choices, my apparel, my worship, my singing, my music, my lifestyle, my prayer life, reading the word, my study, everything is I am a reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So don't only strive to not take the name of the Lord in vain. I hope you don't just walk up and be like, I just got to make sure I don't say Jesus unless I'm praying. It's more than that. But strive to live above hypocrisy. To make sure that when someone thinks about the name of Jesus, that they think about the person who preaches Jesus and who was baptized in Jesus' name. Because they might not have ever heard of Jesus' church. Jesus is mentioned in the Bible. You go to that church where they baptize in Jesus. No. If they hear Jesus, you know what most people are thinking about? Oh, that's right. That dude, he's, he, he's, ta- he's talked to me about Jesus before. Oh, she's told me about being baptized in Jesus' name. I know that I've heard that before. And that this image that they think about when they think about you and me, that they would say, so I don't know all there is to know about this. But I do know that I work with or go to school with or live next door to this person who claims that they have Jesus in their life or they were baptized in this name of Jesus and their church preaches about this man, Jesus. And I don't know all there is to know about it, but I know this. I am very impressed with the reflection that their life shows in the things that they they live before me and the choices that they make. They might be different than mine, but they're very respectful and kind and loving and compassionate. And you know what? I wouldn't mind knowing more about this man, Jesus, because of the reflection that I have seen in their life makes me open to knowing more. And that is what I want to be said of me. Would you stand to your feet? And I invite you right now. Certainly this was etymology and wording and and Greek and Hebrew and different things like that. But there is more than just that. There is a fact that we can uh, can approach an altar. And and if you have a need, you you can say, hey, would you just pray with me? And we could gather around. It's not magical, but there's power. We could say, Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ. 
intercede for this need. Lord, I pray God touch this person right now. And you can begin to pray. You can begin to find an altar and say, God, thank you, Lord, for manifesting yourself and revealing your name to us. That we don't just have to say, I worship some deity that's out there somewhere. No, no, you identified yourself to us and said, I want you to know who I am. I am Jesus. I am God, Yahweh, manifest in flesh, the Old Testament God come to life in, in flesh in the New Testament. That's who I am. And I want to know you. This is who we serve. And so we can find a place to pray and we can begin to, to call the name of Jesus, not only over our lives, but over the lives of other people. Thank you for revealing yourself to us, Lord.